you and you want us you want to teach us how to live so we pray that our hearts would be ready to hear from you whatever you want to say to us God may we hear it in Jesus name we pray Amen so we've been doing this sermon series here walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians now as is often the case as we get to the end of Paul's letters and it's the case here in 1 Thessalonians the, the last part of it often feels like this fire hose of commands and instructions and Honestly, it can feel like a to-do list. It can feel like that part of the book that we might just want to skim over and say, yeah, I get that there's a bunch of stuff in here, but uh, for some reason or another, we might feel like it's too burdensome or maybe we don't want our hearts to be pricked so we don't look too closely at them. Well, we're actually going to slow our sermon series down a little bit now as we get into the last half of chapter 5. There's all these commands, and we're just going to take the time to, to look at them and to see what God has for us. So our, our sermon passage today is only four verses long, and like I said, there's a bunch of instructions and commands in here. Now, instructions and commands certainly have their place in life, and to illustrate this, I wanted to think back to a time long, long ago in a galaxy, well, no, it was only about five years ago, uh, we, Cornerstone Church, used to meet in the YMCA. Now, I thought this would be fun. Raise your hand if you were part of Cornerstone Church when we were meeting in the YMCA. I was there, okay. So uh, you can see it's not everybody, but there is a good number of us who were there. Now, every, every week, we would have to set up and then tear down. So we, we got to meet in the community room, which is basically just an empty room, and we would have to fill it and then tear it down. So every Sunday afterwards, it's kind of neat. Everybody kind of got to know their part. And, and the way I think of it is there's, there's this whole list of things that had to be done, and, and no one person did it all. We kind of all just pitched in together, and in five or ten minutes, we, we tore down the sound system. We, we loaded it up onto this big cart that we had. We stacked up the chairs, and we moved them against the wall, and we, we dragged all that stuff out of the community room and back into the storage closet. And, and every week, we got that all done because everybody pitched in and knew their part. But I was thinking about it. What if, what if one day we just decided, you know what? That doesn't feel like it's very important to, to tear down our stuff. So we're just going to do our worship service and leave. What would happen to us? We, probably eventually, if we kept on doing it that way, get, we would have been kicked out of the YMCA. It was important stuff that we were doing. It might not have felt like it was gospel work as you were stacking chairs and, and bringing them against the wall, but it was, it was all part of the process. Now, the reason I use that illustration is because we're going to look at these commands here, and, and although we might see that these things are important, we might not realize how important they are. And, and the angle that I want to approach this today is that the gospel message is a message that wasn't just important to us when we first received Jesus as Savior and Lord. It, it was tremendously important there, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. No, the gospel message is also important as we continue in our lives. One of the, our, kind of our chief theologian in, in our denomination says that we want to keep the gospel central in all that we do. So the commands that we're going to look at today are, are rooted in the truth of the God who brought his gospel message to us, the, the God who brought his son Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. He, he brought Jesus not just so that we could be saved, but so that also we could live holy lives here. And these commands have a really important part in that. There's a, a pastor theologian, his name is John Stott. I've been quoting him a lot in this series. It's because I'm reading his commentary as I walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. But he said that our lives should be continually shaped by the gospel. Continually shaped by the gospel. So as we look at these instructions and commands today, let's remember that it's really important 
that we would continue to live according to the gospel pattern that God has given to us. So again, our passage today is only four verses long, but it's filled with important things for us to consider. I want to read them now, starting in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So these first two verses in our passage today tell us how we should relate to those who lead us spiritually. Now, admittedly, as your pastor, this is awkward for me to talk about this, that I'm supposed to tell you how you're supposed to relate to me. But let's just start off by saying, this is not just about me. These verses relate to anybody who would lead us spiritually. And we all should have leaders in our lives. So it's uh, it's your Bible study leader. It's uh, anybody really who has taught you the word of God and continues to teach you the word of God. These verses tell us how we should look at those people. And I have those kinds of people in my life as well. So these verses aren't just for you to do for me. These verses are for me to do as well with, with leaders that I have in my life. And the... The word for us here is that we would do well to listen to those who lead us. Now, let me use an illustration here to, uh, again, take the attention off of me for maybe a little bit here, but uh, think of a doctor. Let's say you you go in, you have a a really bad arm injury, and you you think it's broken, and you go into the doctor, and and sure enough, you find out that your arm is broken. And he puts a cast on it, and he says, I'm also going to give you this sling, and I'm also going to give you a few instructions here. I want you to wear this sling for the next three weeks. Your, your arm is going to start to feel a little bit better over the, the next week or so, and you might be tempted to say, well, hey, I don't need this sling anymore, so uh, I want you to remember that even though you might feel a little bit better, I want you to keep your arm in that sling for the next three weeks. Now, how do you do with those commands? Uh, some of you might be like, sweet, three weeks off, and I can get everybody to do everything for me. And some of you might be like, two days later, all right, let's get this thing off. And... Uh, But let's say you take that second route and you say, you know what, I'm going to take this sling off and uh, I'm just going to start using my arm just as usual. And then about, you go go to the follow-up appointment with a doctor and you tell him, you know what, I've got a little bit of pain in my arm. And he asks you, what question does he ask you? Have you been wearing your sling? And you tell him, I'm sorry, doctor, I haven't. And think about what's happened there. He has, he has given you this instruction. And maybe he was wrong. Maybe he didn't know everything. And that's, that's the way it goes with teachers. I'm not trying to suggest to you that everything I teach is correct. I work hard to do that. I, I was talking with, with Phil beforehand, and uh, they were talking about uh, teachers in their passage in James today. Teachers have a responsibility to teach what is true and accurate. Just like we go to a doctor and we hope that they give us good advice. But what should we do then when we're on the receiving end of that instruction? We should take it to heart. And I think that's, that's part of what we're getting at here. And in these two verses, Paul asks the people of Thessalonica, and by way of application, he's asking us as well, that, that we would do two things for our leaders, that we would respect them and that we would hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. So the first one there is respect. And that word could also be translated as honor or remember or appreciate. But actually, even more simply, the word simply means no to know your leaders. Now that might seem strange and it might seem obvious, but actually it's really important that we would know who our spiritual leaders are. One of the reasons I say that is because there are lots of people, lots of people who would call themselves Christians who probably couldn't tell you who their spiritual leaders are. 
I think there's a mindset that's all too easy for us to fall into that, that we would just go through life ourselves. That I, I just need my Bible. I just need God. Well, actually, we're supposed to have leaders in our lives because that's the way that God has set things up. So one of the simplest things is just constantly being able to answer that question, who is leading you spiritually? And one of the ways that I look at that is, um, we'll, we'll talk about the role of shepherding in just a bit, but as a shepherd, I find it tremendously important that I would know uh, the people that God has given me care of and that I would be praying for them. So my, my job is to know you and to pray for you. And I, I said it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again. I've got a prayer list where I've got all the regular people from Cornerstone. So that, that's all of you here who are regular. And I'm regularly praying for you. And, and I'm available to talk. And that's what I want to do for you. Now, let's flip that around. How well do you know your leaders? And, and how well are you listening to what they say? Taking their instruction. Like that doctor who gives you the instruction, how well are you, are you listening to what they say? And, and this has more than just to do with listening to your leader because this has to do with authority. That, that God is our, our, our leader. He's set up Jesus Christ. And in, in the Bible, Jesus is called both our good shepherd and he is the chief shepherd. And in the Bible, it also talks about how underneath the chief shepherd, there are other shepherds. Um, I wrote down a couple of verses that it says in the Bible, two shepherds. It says, so, so this is God addressing people who are leading. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And in another place, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So do you see how important this is? That, that God has set it up this way, that he's the chief shepherd, but that he puts under shepherds in our lives to lead us. And when we follow the lead of these under-shepherds, what are we doing? We're following the lead of our chief shepherd. Now again, I'm not suggesting that every way that, that we shepherds lead is perfect. That, that's not what I'm saying here. But I'm saying that the way that God has set it up is that he puts leaders in all of our lives and that, that we have a responsibility. Another verse on this is Hebrews 13:17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it's not about the ego of leaders. It's ultimately about our submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are to know and respect the leaders God has placed in our lives because we want to know and respect God. And then similarly, getting back to our passage today in verse 13, it says, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. How do we do that? Well, for one, we can speak well of our leaders. I've been encouraged. Garland, is Garland here somewhere? There he is. Garland often says to me that uh, when you all go out for lunch afterwards, that you almost never partake of roast pastor, which is, uh, you know, you can, you can picture a, people, a group of people going out to eat and they, oh man, can you believe what pastor said today? And yeah, he's always doing that. But that, I, I hear, at least from Garland's perspective, that's not what goes on amongst the people of our congregation. I think that's great. And just a, a life tip in general, Let's speak well of everybody, not, not just leaders. Let's, let's just always speak well of people. Because you know what I think? If, if I hear, if somebody's talking to me and he's talking about somebody else behind their back, you know what I'm thinking? I wonder what they say about me behind my back. So how about this? Let's just not speak poorly of other people, whether we're with them or not, or, or um, prayerfully, and we'll get to this too. There, there, there's a time for rebuke, uh, and we'll talk about that today. But let's speak well of people, and that includes our leaders. But leaders, you're not off the hook here. 
so I want to I shift this conversation now. I've been talking about how we should respect leaders, but now I want to talk to leaders because there's some words in here that, that show us how we should be leading. So the first one here is work hard. Our, our task, we've been given a God-assigned task to lead and to shepherd. We who lead should work hard at it. Now that should be obvious. That um, Just some questions. Are you leading diligently? Are you wrestling in prayer for those you lead? Are you putting the time and effort into your study to lead well when it's your turn to lead? And then the second phrase here, over you. I don't necessarily love this translation. The, the word here simply means guide. And, and here's how I like to think of it. If God wants to bring his people along a path, somebody has to be the first one to walk on that path. And that's who the leader is. So it, again, it's not a sense of, of ego. It's really just a sense of, of God gives that role to certain people. So for those of us who lead, we are to guide. And we're to do it in such a way that people can follow. And as we lead, we serve. In Mark 10.45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's a great passage. Servant leadership. Uh, Bonnie Strait talked a lot about that, how leaders who lead, that's what a leader is. She doesn't say it that way. She says leaders should serve. And then a third word here. The word is admonish. Um, this word could also be translated as instruct or also as warn. It's the same word that we see in verse 14 translated as warn. This word usually carries with it the meaning of correcting bad behavior. And as almost any leader will tell you, this is not one of the most fun parts of the job. But it's a necessary role and one that we shouldn't shy away from. But the only way that we should ever enter into it is through lots and lots of prayer. If you ever feel the need to admonish somebody, pray and pray and pray about it. Pray for their heart. Pray for the right humble words for you to say. And then I'd also encourage you just to talk to another spiritual leader, somebody who can give you wisdom. You don't, have to, you don't gossip about the situation, but you ask a trusted leader for advice on how you might bring an admonishment. And then let's, let's turn the tables again. I know we're kind of flipping all back and forth like a seesaw here today. If your leader comes to you and has a word of warning or admonishment for you, how should you take it? The answer is humbly, right? The, one of the best pieces of advice I got, somebody says something to you, bite your tongue for at least 24 hours. Don't feel the need to respond to them for 24 hours. If, if it's your leader and they have a word of a, re a rebuke for you, receive it and then talk to God about it and say, God, what is it in there that was just given to me that I need to listen to from you? And then after 24 hours, if you need more clarification, uh, maybe you know, go back and, and ask for that. But um, let's let God do his work on our hearts. Um, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. Proverbs 19.20. So leaders are under shepherds, underneath our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So as leaders, again, we're seesawing back to the leaders now. What do we do? We seek the guidance of our chief shepherd. We keep meeting with him. We lead according to his ways. And that's how it works in God's church, that the, the leaders are diligently seeking God and the people who follow are, are willing to submit to God's authority by, by listening to their leaders. Okay, um, enough about that one. Let's move on to the last phrase in verse 13. If I were redoing the verse numbers in this section, I would give this one its own verse. Live in peace with each other. So it's a command. Live in peace. And this, this concept is deeply rooted in the gospel. Let's think about the gospel for a moment. We all have sinned against God. 
the Bible actually says that we were enemies of God. Now, what did God do to those of us who were his enemies? He showed tremendous love and compassion to us. He sent Jesus Christ to take our sin penalty upon himself so that for any of us who believe in Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be cleansed, and we can be brought into a relationship that is defined by peace with God. It's amazing that we did not earn that, we did not deserve it, but God brings us into a relationship of peace with himself because that's how he wants us to live with him. Now think about that. We've been invited into that kind of a relationship with God. We have been people who have been given a gift of peace that we didn't deserve. Now we go out and we interact with other people and sometimes they offend us. What do we do? We do the same kind of thing that God did for us. We forgive. We grant peace to them because God has granted peace to us. God did this in his patience because he wanted a relationship with us. He didn't want us to remain as his enemies. So he purchased peace for us. Now it cost him something, and that's the way it might go in our relationships with other people. If we want peace, it might cost us something. Now it might also be possible, and God in his wisdom has told us about this, it might not always be possible for us to live at peace with others. Romans 12:18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There might be some people in which there's nothing you can do. They're just going to be in hostility with you. God understands that. But we, as far as it, is depo- it, is, as it depends on us, we work towards peace. So, are you a peaceful person? Or do you find that your very presence in a situation leads towards discord and disharmony? Do you ever wonder, why is it always so unpeaceful where I am? Well, maybe, maybe you need to listen to this command to live at peace with everyone. You know how they say there's, there's always one crazy person on every bus and I can never seem to find him? Um, <laughs> think about that. Um, if it's always a lack of peace where you are, well, just talk to God about that. Pray that God would, would fill your heart with peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. God wants to give it to you. Okay, let's move on to verse uh, 14 now. There's four commands in here. The first one is, warn those who are idle. Now, the word idle can mean lazy, but it may also carry this concept of unruly or out of order. So there are some people who are not walking on the path that God has for them. One of the great things about our life here as as children of God is that he has a path for us on which he wants us to walk. Now, if some people are not walking on that path, what should we do for them? We should warn them. Now, again, this is the same word that was translated as admonish in in the previous verse. Uh, In verse 12, I believe that was. Um, Yeah, there it is at the end of verse 12. So, again, we enter into this with prayer, with lots of prayer. If God ever has... Uh, an opportunity for you to rebuke somebody or to admonish them or to warn them. You go into it with prayer. You go into it with love because the goal is that, that they would be restored. And the goal is that we'd be able to live at peace with them as well as they turn from their sin. Uh, but please know, there is a really important place for a loving rebuke. Um, I mentioned this... Um, I think I mentioned this in an email, and I'll give a little bit of the story, and I'll talk in in general terms, but it was really really heartwarming to me. Just a week and a half ago at our college ministry at at Crew, um, there was a a girl who is now one of our leaders, 
But, but last year, she was in a spot in life where she wasn't on the path, and, and, and she, has, she told this to the people, so, and again, I'm just talking in general terms, but it got to the point where uh, I had to take one of our female leaders along with me, and we had to have a conversation where there was a rebuke, just to say, this, this isn't right, and we just want you to know that, and we love you, and we want what's best for you. And honestly, I didn't know how that conversation was going to be received. Um, but she has gotten to this point where she has, she has turned around, she has gotten on the right path and is walking with God. And a week and a half ago, in front of the, the small group that she was leading, she, set, she told that story of how me and this other leader came before her and gave her rebuke, and she said it was exactly what I needed to be on the right path. Um, so please know that as we, as we warn, as we admonish those who are idle or who are not on the right path, the reason we do it is because of love and because we want them to be restored. So again, this is, this is not at all the, the fun part of the job of being a leader, but it's an important part. And it's important for the body of Christ in general that we would do it for each other. Okay, second and third commands. Encourage the timid, help the weak. Now I'm putting these together because they're similar. The word timid could also be translated as faint-hearted. So these would be the people who spiritually are struggling. The, the people who are just having a hard time walking with God. Maybe they're straying. Maybe they're making some poor decisions. What do we do? We encourage them to go in the right direction. You ever had somebody either physically or metaphorically come alongside of you and put their arm around you and say, you can do this? We can walk through this together? That's what we're supposed to do here with these people who are faint-hearted. Let's help them walk in the right direction. And then similar to the next phrase, help the weak, we're supposed to help them. Now the weak here could also be the spiritually weak, but I also read one commentary where he said this, this probably refers to people who are physically weak. That spiritually weak would be the timid that we're supposed to encourage, and then the, these people that we're supposed to help here and help the weak, these might be the people who just need something from us. Maybe they need us to help them move. Uh, maybe they need us on a regular basis to, to help them with something. They, they need a ride. Um, some of my, I don't have favorites in the congregation, but some of my favorite people are those who give rides to other people. So thank you to those of you who do that. Um, help the weak. Now, encourage the timid, help the weak. This gets messy. This, this costs something. Um, but not nearly what it costs God to love us. So as we live out the gospel, again, remember, all of these commands are rooted in the very character of the gospel, that, that God has helped us, and we then are, are to look for opportunities to help and to serve those around us, whether they are spiritually or physically weak. Let's do this because of the gospel. And, you know, there's two great benefits of this. One would be for people who don't yet know Jesus. As, as we help them, they might see the gospel lived out in us and they might be ready then to hear the words of the gospel. And then for those who already know Jesus, if we help them or encourage them, God might use us to bless them. And isn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful? That, doesn't that give meaning and purpose to our lives to think that we can encourage and help people and that they would feel blessed by God as we help them? That's part of what God wants us to do as we finish our time here on earth. So let's be looking for ways to help. Then verse 14, the last one there. Be patient with everyone. It makes sense to talk about patience right after talking about helping the spiritually and physically needy because we might run out of patience. 
Now this word patient here is the word that's often translated as long-suffering. And here's how I like to define that word long-suffering. It means be patient for as long as you can. And then be patient some more. And the reason I like to put it that way is because the kind of patience we're talking about here is not merely the kind of patience that we can just find within ourselves on our own. The kind of patience we're talking about here is the patience that God supernaturally gives to us because we will often be tempted to be impatient in this world, or at least I am often tempted in that way. And maybe some of you can relate to me. So uh, we don't draw on our own resources to be patient. And here's three ways that I like to look at this word patience. Number one, God is patient. There are some wonderful passages in the Bible that talk about God's patience for us as he was waiting for us to repent and to come to him. God is patient with us. Number two, patience is a characteristic of love. Remember the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. So if you want to be a loving person, you have to be a patient person. You, you can't be both impatient and loving because love is patient. And then third, Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 tells us these, these nine wonderful things that God wants to produce in our lives, and one of them is patience. So if we don't have patience, we, we go to God and we, we confess that we've been impatient, and we ask for his help. So just, um, some of you I know don't struggle with this, but I know that a lot of you do. Um, in fact, as I, when I teach through Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, I often have people in, in a small group setting of those nine that are there, I say, pick some of these that are strong for you and pick some that are weak for you. And I did say that about half of the people on that list of nine, about half of the people pick patience as one that is a weakness. So I know that there is at least one person out there, well, two counting me, uh, that need to hear this message of let's be patient. And it, it might be about half or more of you that need to hear this message. Let's, let's pray that God would give us patience. Just like he is patient with us, let's be patient with those around us. Okay, and then our last verse, verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. Our world messes this one up. Just like we are tempted to be impatient, we are going to be tempted to pay back wrong for wrong. In fact, I think that if the world were writing the Bible, they would keep this verse except they'd just change the word nobody to everybody. Make sure that everybody pays back wrong for wrong. That's the way that our world goes. I was trying to come up with a list, and you guys can add to this list here. I was thinking of ways that our world pays back wrong for wrong. So think of two politicians slinging mud at each other. Think of two nations or tribes that are at war over something that maybe happened a hundred years ago or more. They might even not remember what started it. Or you think about family members who won't give up a grudge that they've held for years and maybe haven't even talked to each other for years. Or you think about a married couple. They keep fighting over the same thing. They keep trying to win the argument. They keep trying to one-up each other and pay back wrong for wrong verbally. Or you think of two baseball teams that, that one of them hits somebody with a pitch and then the next half inning they hit somebody with a pitch and the bench is clear, paying back wrong for wrong. Or Twitter, I was thinking about that. It's like our world expects it. If somebody disses you on Twitter, you have to get them back. It, you would be seen as weak in the, in the eyes of this world if you do not pay back wrong for wrong 
when you're tweeting. But according to the gospel, we are to be different. God did not treat us as his enemies, even though we were his enemies. He was patient with us, and he was kind. He did not pay back wrong for wrong. He showed kindness by sending his son to die for us on the cross. And yes, there will be a time of judgment, but God has made it clear to us that he is patient with us and doesn't want us to repent. So we are to be kind to others as well. Now there's lots of passages that we could go to on this topic, but I want to show you one, one that uh, somebody brought to my attention this week from Luke 6. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now again, if the world were rewriting the Bible, they would maybe say, do to others what you can get away with, or try to even up whatever somebody did to you. And again, you know, you think about all these ways in which we go back and forth with each other, in which we repay wrong for wrong. That is the pattern of this world, and it will destroy relationships. But what has God called us to do? Let's go back to our verse here. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Now, as a spiritual leader, what I want to urge you to see here is that make sure part. We're to do that. We're to make sure that nobody, that none of us pay back wrong for wrong. God has given this to us because he wants us to live differently according to the gospel. So I want you to think again about your life. Are you tempted to pay back wrong for somebody does something to you? It's, it's human nature to want to respond back, but we're not animals. We, we, don't, we don't have to just act according to whatever we feel welling up inside of us. If we feel wronged, what can we do? We can stop we can forgive. And look what it says here at the end. But always try to be kind to each other. Now, who is it telling us to be kind to in that verse? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. These might be the, the others who have wronged you, but you are to be kind to them. So are you a person who responds with kindness, or do you pay back wrong for wrong? What happens in your mind as you think about the wrongs that have been committed against you? Do you spend your mental energy thinking about how badly you were grieved or how you can get back at them? Instead, let's be people who pray. Let's be people who show kindness to everyone. And just a tip here, if you find yourself daydreaming about how you can get back at people, I think that's wrong. Even if it doesn't show up in your actions, if it's just in your mind, what you're doing is you're training your mind how to pay back wrong for wrong. So if you ever catch yourself even in your mind thinking about how to pay back wrong for wrong, stop right there and acknowledge before the Lord that you have done something that you shouldn't be doing. Ask him to change your heart to make you somebody who responds with kindness instead of revenge. And again, this is about the gospel. This is the way that God has treated us. We were sinners. We were enemies against him. He loved us with an overwhelming love to bring us back to him. So that's what we do then in our relationships with other people. We show God's kindness and patience to them. It's about the gospel, and that's how I want to wrap up my sermon today. My concluding statement here is we should be continually changed by the gospel. 
Again, the gospel message isn't just a message you heard at some point in your past which you received and which will eventually be your ticket into heaven. It is that, but do you notice what's missing there? The, the past receiving and the future heaven? What's missing? The present. The gospel has major, major implications for every moment of our lives. We are to live out the gospel by obeying commands like these. You see, if we have been brought from death to life, it should show in the way we live. Here will be the most obvious illustration I'll ever use, uh, pretty much. I, I, I use some other obvious. Maybe I shouldn't. That's a low standard. Um, one of the most obvious illustrations I could ever use here is there is a big difference between people who are dead and people who are alive. If your body is dead, you're going to spend a lot of time in a coffin or an urn or wherever they spread your ashes. If you're alive, you're going to do things that living people do. So what about us? If we're dead in sin, we're going to look like the world. We're going to pay back wrong for wrong. We're going to have no respect for authority. But if we're alive in Christ, then we should, well, respect those who work hard among you. should hold them in the highest regard and love. We should live in peace with each other. We should warn the idle. We should encourage the timid and help the weak. We should be patient with everyone. And we should not pay back wrong for wrong. But we should always try to be kind to each other. If, the, if we've received the gospel, we should live it out by doing these things. We'll look different if we do it. We'll have more joy and peace as we do it. We'll bring peace into the situations we walk into. So I, I want you to just scan over that passage again. The application here is simple. Reread this passage and pick out one or two of those things that you need to work on. For me, I think I'm going to work on patience. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. But uh, what is it for you? Do you need to be reminded not to pay back wrong for wrong? Do you need to be reminded of the place that your spiritual leaders have in your life and how you can respect them and listen to them? We should be continually changed by the gospel. Let's let it show in the way we live. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us these things about what our new life in Christ should look like. We thank you that we have life in Christ, that even though we were your enemies, that you sent Jesus to pay for our sins, that we could be forgiven and cleansed. And God, if anybody doesn't know that yet, we pray that, that right now they would submit their heart to Jesus Christ to receive him as Savior and Lord. They would turn from sin in repentance and that they would walk with you in the light. And Lord, for all of us, having been cleansed by Jesus, we pray that we would live pure lives, that we would be motivated to seek to live the kind of holy lives that you want us to live. So God, help us with these commands. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask you to point out those one or two especially that you want us to look at. God, would you mold us and shape us more and more into the people you want us to be, more and more into the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you do your powerful work to continue to transform us on a daily basis? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.